Pray with me if you would as we kind of get started. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for the gifts that you've given Blake and for the gifts that you've given even William, but the rest of our staff as well. But I just, I'm thankful for moments like this where we culminate that energy and that enthusiasm and those gifts to unite together in song and worship. And certainly specifically this morning as we lift the name of your son Jesus to the highest. That, really, that is really all that matters in this room right now. Your son's name. It doesn't matter. Everything else falls in comparison. So the name of your son Jesus. May we rest with that. May we keep his name before us as we journey this morning through an ancient narrative and take a look at what it looked like when your son first arrived on this earth. So again, we say thanks. And it's in the name of your son Jesus that we pray. Amen. Hey, so those of you that know me maybe better than others, there's some of you in here that do as I'm making eye contact with some of you. Most of you, those of you who know me pretty well, know how enthusiastic and how much I enjoy the Christmas season, almost a little obnoxiously. Now, I know there's some competition for it in this room. There are some in this room that like it a little bit more than I do. I'm not going to name any names, Michael Jordan. But there are people who do like Christmas a little bit more than me. And you know this. But I love Christmas. I love the music at Christmas. I love the movies that come with Christmas. Blake and I were talking about Christmas movies this morning. Um, I love the sights. I love the sounds. I love the experiences that come with Christmas. But I'm not the only one on staff that loves Christmas. You should know this. You have a staff that enjoys Christmas. Now, it varies, right? We don't all enjoy Christmas to the same degree. Um, and the other thing that I enjoy is, the, um, I enjoy also, I'm amused by the debates that happen this time of year. Like, how many of you have the debates that we have in our home about when you can start Christmas music and when you're supposed to start turning it off? Anybody? Some of you? No, it's like all year round, right? I can play Christmas music all the time, but those debates amuse me. Well, here's something I found out this week. I found out that William, over here to my right, there might be a competition between us as to who liked Christmas more. I'm not sure. But I found out that William really enjoys Christmas. In fact, as I was preparing for this particular message, I went back and listened to a message that William preached several years ago on Luke chapter 2. And it was so fun to listen to him talk about and describe some of what we might consider Christmas magic and the Christmas spirit that he enjoys. It was especially fun to hear Big William think about little William and his red bike. Right? The special red bike that William got. Um, but one of the things that he talked about and highlighted was just the wonder and the joy that children have, especially this time of year. Right? You know this. And we try to create that magic. And children, he says, try to keep that joy and that magic and that spirit all year long. Do you remember being a kid? And do you remember, like, gauging your year based off when Christmas came and went? Like, as soon as Christmas was over, you're like, when is it? It's the countdown. Right? We're counting down for Christmas next year already. And the older you get, those of you who are parents know this too, like, Christmas just comes like this. There's no, there's no slowness between it anymore. I mean, it's like it's here before you know it and you blink. But he talked about the childlike wonder that's there. And then he shifts a little bit. And William's almost in this kind of lamenting stage in his message. And one of the things that he cries out, he says, I hope, and he says, I, I, for myself and for others, that they don't lose that sense of wonder and joy of the Christmas season. But he takes it even a step further. 
beyond just this Christmas season. And here's what he says. He says he doesn't want himself or others to lose the wonder and joy that comes as a result of the simple birth of Jesus Christ. And his existence. And his arrival on earth and what it means for humanity and what it means for creation. And this is what William says. William, I'm quoting you. I hope I didn't tell you I was going to be doing this. Here's what he says. I read the realities found in Luke chapter 2. And if I'm not careful, I treat this story. The realities of Mary and Joseph and the angels and the shepherds and Jesus like my Christmas lights and my ornaments. I bring them out once a year, I I decorate and I enjoy the splendor, I find myself lost in the wonder, I adore them and I cherish them, and when when January rolls around, I eventually put them back up in their boxes until next year. And he says this, I don't want to treat the realities found in Luke chapter 2 like I treat my decorations. In other words, 2,000 years later, William is still mesmerized by the greatest birth announcement of all time. Right? Consider that. 2,000 plus years later, he's still mesmerized by the greatest birth announcement of all time. Right? And so, while William was preparing for his sermon, his message on Luke chapter 2, something was moving and stirring within him. Something was knocking at his door. Something was causing him to reflect on his own life. And something was revealed to him that highlighted just how true and essential and beautiful Jesus was then. And how beautiful and true and essential Jesus still is now. Yes? Not just then, but now still. And it's as if in all those moments as William was pondering and thinking about these things, it's almost as if he took that moment to treasure these things in his own heart. And then his heart was determined to live these realities of Jesus out. I don't know if you've noticed, but apparently birth announcements and gender reveals are a pretty big deal right now. Some of you have participated in these, yes? Right? I have seen some parents get in really big trouble for putting things on social media that they weren't supposed to before it was too soon. You may be guilty of that. I'm not sure who you are. Some of us have been guilty of that. I have seen some pretty trendy gender reveals in the last year. I mean, they're really creative. They're trendy. They're fun. I have seen and witnessed couples using cupcakes and cakes. You cut into it and you find out what the gender of the baby is. I have seen people use pinatas. I have seen people use smoke bombs. I have seen people, Stan, you'll like this, take the exhaust of their car, change it so that when they burn out, the exhaust comes out like the baby color, okay? And if you're a Star Wars fan, you can customize lightsabers now. And they will come out either pink or blue, depending on what your baby is, right? People are getting pretty creative. Some still wait to find out. Jennifer and I have two daughters. They both did something very different. Christine and Alex waited until the very last minute. They didn't want to find out the gender. They didn't look at ultrasound pictures. They told the doctors and nurses to be quiet about it. They did not know literally until Oliver was delivered that it was going to be a boy. Neither did we. So when they came out and tell us, it was actually, we were ecstatic, right? Laura, our other daughter, and Chase, they did the balloon thing. 
They popped it and confetti came out. That's how we knew that Joni was going to be a girl. But both circumstances foster anticipation, right? Foster a lot of anticipation. But why? Because what they're revealing is special and life-changing. Agreed? There's a lot of anticipation behind it because what's fixing to happen is going to change things. And perhaps, just maybe, the angel Gabriel is responsible for the greatest birth announcement and gender reveal of all time. Some might say that he ruined it for Mary. Right? In fact, in 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 several ways. We'll we'll talk about that here in a second. (laughs) Imagine that moment in time, though, that the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary unexpected. A, she's a virgin. B, she's engaged to be married to Joseph. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't you love the way that, like, I love even as you were reading this, William. There's always something casual about the angel looks at someone who's terrified and goes, it's okay. Don't be afraid. And we're going, really? We're terrified. She, it's, it's unexpected. She doesn't know what's happening. But the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. God has found favor in you. And guess what? You are going to conceive and bear a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Boom. There you go. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And by the way of his kingdom, there will be no end. And then, I was talking to Stan before we started... Luke provides maybe the greatest understatement of the entire time in the New Testament. And it says, and Mary was perplexed. Really? Like maybe the text might have said, and Mary passed out. And Mary stopped breathing. And Mary ran out of the room. But instead there's this scene that Luke records of Mary going, okay. Uh, how? First of all, how? Gabriel says, All things are possible with God. To which Mary responds with one of the greatest lines of the entire New Testament, maybe the entire scripture, theologically charged. She says, okay, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Let's go. I don't know how many of you would be as gentle and as uh, calm during something like that, but imagine hearing all of that for the first time. Imagine Mary sitting there after Gabriel leaves, right? Probably still frozen. Imagine Mary sitting there thinking, how am I going to tell Joseph about this? She likely didn't use cupcakes. It wasn't going to be smoke bombs. I can almost guarantee you it wouldn't be lightsabers or a pinata. Now what, she says. So fast forward eight, eight and a half months. And as the crow flies... The shortest route between Nazareth and Bethlehem, which takes travelers through Samaria, is about 70 miles. If you go around Samaria, you're looking around 90 miles. And I don't know about you, but it's been a while since I set out to walk 90 miles. Okay? It's a long way. And under normal circumstances, if you're walking anywhere between two and a half miles to three miles an hour, 20 miles a day, for eight hours a day, it's possible for you to get to your destination in maybe five to ten days, depending on the circumstances. It's a long haul. It's a long walk, especially if you're eight and a half months pregnant. Can you imagine? Sean Walker and I were joking about this as they were, I say joking, 
It was a serious, joking conversation as they were decorating the stage. Like, I have no right to get up here and talk about what it might be like for a pregnant woman to walk 90 miles. None. I have, there's no way for John Micah to fathom what it would be like. Have you seen videos of men who strap these pregnant things to themselves and just try to get out of bed? Guys, we're toast. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of Mary, this teenage girl with her husband-to-be, walking for 90 miles, eight and a half months pregnant. And this is what the text says. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, it came time for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know the story. There's no suitable place for Mary to give birth And the only place that they can find privacy was in a stall. This shelter meant for animals. So think about this just for a moment. The most important birth of all time takes place in the most inconvenient circumstances surrounded by the most unlikely guest in all history. And Luke changes the scene again. And we're transported to the outskirts of Bethlehem. And you and I find ourselves with this group of simple shepherds. They don't represent royalty. They don't represent patriarchs. They certainly aren't prophets. They don't get a whole lot of income from what they do. And they're deemed fairly common and lowly. And they're often held in low self-esteem depending on who you talk to. And so these shepherds represent this marginalized outskirts outcast people on the fringe of society in their known world. And yet somewhere, in the same region where Mary and Joseph are, they're living in their fields. Possibly because it's lambing season, and they're watching over their flock by night. So just imagine yourself. I don't know the last time you've camped out somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Imagine how dark it was. Imagine the sights and the sounds that come with that pitch blackness of being out there. And their eyes, your eyes, their, their eyes have long since adjusted to the dark. Maybe they're taking turns, keeping watch. Maybe they're taking turns, um, taking some rest. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord appears to them. And the whole sky lights up. The glory of the Lord is all over them. And once again, we see that word. They're terrified. They've probably been doing this shepherd thing for a while, by the way, and this isn't common. What's just taking place isn't normal. And so they're unprepared for this encounter as anybody else would be. They have no idea what's happening. They have no idea what's about to be revealed to them. These outcast, marginalized shepherds are about to be the first people to receive good news. Talk about birth announcements and gender reveals. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. 
You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in the manger. Don't be afraid. I've got good news for all people. So what's the significance of that? Think about these three words that are on the screen. He is the Savior. Someone who delivers people from their enemies. He's also Messiah. It's it's a future reality, but it's also true right now for Jesus as an infant. And by the way, he's Christ the Lord. Nowhere else in the New Testament are all three of these words used in the same sentence to describe Jesus. This is pretty significant. So picture this. The bread of life... Jesus Christ, the bread of life, is born in Bethlehem, which translated in Hebrew is the house of bread. The bread of life is born in the house of bread. This is a pretty significant moment in the history. But it wasn't abnormal for these kind of announcements to happen. So in the Roman Empire period, it was customary for poets and great orators to um, declare peace and prosperity at the birth of someone who was going to be the emperor. But this was a field. It wasn't a banquet hall, but it was heaven that opened up to share good news and joy at the peace announcement of Jesus as Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And with that announcement... With that birth announcement of the baby comes the announcement and the invitation into his kingdom. So consider the significance, right? Birth announcements and gender reveals are exciting, but what about the guest list? I don't know about you, but my daughters and even Jennifer and I were very selective about who was, co- who was welcome to come to that particular season of life, right? You don't just let anybody into the hospital room while you're giving birth. It's, it's, for, it's just for small crowds, typically. Now, a bunch of people might be out in the waiting area, but this is a pretty significant thing to be on the guest list, to be present at the birth of a child. But Luke's guest list is a little different, right? Because the kingdom of God is inclusive. It includes the poor. It includes the maimed. It includes the blind. It includes those held captive and oppressed. And so the shepherds are on this list. They are present At the birth of Christ. And I love that the angel says, this will be a sign to you. Not about what's about, not not what's about to happen. That's not going to be a sign as if that would be enough as well. But the sign is you are going to go into Bethlehem and you're going to find a baby wrapped in claws in a manger. What an appropriate sign for a group of shepherds. When you get there, you're going to find a quiet little family gathered around a crying baby in an animal shelter. And if that announcement wasn't enough, the heavens themselves could not contain themselves. Because if you read the text, the very next thing that happens is that the sky literally erupts in praise and worship, and it's no longer just one angel who's hanging out with the shepherds. A multitude of angels are now present. I have no idea. I cannot wrap my mind around what this would look like. But they're singing, they're praising, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace among those whom he favors. But it's not just any kind of peace. It's certainly not Pax Romana, which is Roman peace that everybody there is used to. The kind of peace that's delivered by force and established by conquering others with a sword. But this peace is wholeness. This peace is the fullness of blessing that only comes as a result of Jesus' presence. So wrap your mind around that the best you can. And like with Mary, 
The multitude of angels and the angels eventually leave and the shepherds are left sitting there. I love video footage of the shepherds sitting there after they left. What are they thinking? What is going through their minds? We know this for sure. They do agree to go to Bethlehem to see in the flesh what God has just revealed to them. And so they go. Luke's pretty simple about it. They go. And then once again, you and I are transported from scenes. We go from the fields to the stall where they find Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And there's nothing glamorous about it. The pictures and the scenes that you and I typically see are fairly glamorous. <laughs> there's nothing glamorous about this scene. It's void of sanity. And by the way, um, this is the scariest thing for me. There's no medical technology there. And there's no nurses and no doctors. Right? It's Joseph, Mary, and maybe some of the people that they're caravanning with, and now these shepherds. They're on the guest list to witness the greatest birth of all time. And now it's the shepherds' turn to reveal to Mary and Joseph what they have just heard. And when they, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And the scene, Luke just says this, Mary's kind of soaking it all in. She's pondering it. She's treasuring all the things that the shepherds said, but it's not like she's just in some random daydream. She doesn't fully comprehend what's happening. She probably has the conversations with Gabriel coming back in her head, but I guess she's thinking, now what? What, what happens now? What, what happens to this baby boy of mine? What will he become? This also reflects a little bit of my conversation with Sean. She's probably exhausted. Not probably. She's exhausted. She's dehydrated. She's probably really thirsty. Her world has just been turned upside down. She's just given birth to a baby, which is a miracle in itself, right? What about the shepherds? Imagine their thoughts and their conversations. <laughs> what just happened? What just took place? What will become of this boy that has been revealed to us in the future there's one thing for sure, we can assume this. Their lives have been forever transformed because of what they've just experienced. They will never be the same. They've witnessed the greatest announcement in birth and gender reveal of all time, and they can't stop thinking about it, and we know that because of what the text says next. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen, which were as they had been told. So what on earth is so significant about those present at the birth of Jesus? They weren't proud. They weren't the elite. They weren't the powerful. The guest list didn't consist of world rulers and the religious elite from around that area. God revealed the birth of Jesus to the humble and the hungry. To the shepherds on the fringe of society and this meant good news for all people. Well, what's the significance behind this baby boy? Well, you know this. But Jesus' very birth is a gift to this world, and it literally has cosmic implications for everything, all creation. So how will you and I receive this gift? How will this gift of this baby boy impact your life? Will you and I take for granted 
this narrative? Maybe we pull it out when it's convenient and think about it and reflect on it from time to time. Will we merely decorate our homes and our backyards and our houses with images that reflect this time of year once a year? Or maybe will you and I, like the shepherds, be transformed by this gift? My hope is the same as William's. I would hope that for any of us that come into contact with the realities of Jesus that are found in Luke chapter 2, that we don't treat them like mere Christmas decorations. That we don't put them back up when January rolls around, but rather you and I be so transformed by the realities of who Jesus is that you and I, by the very fact that we are breathing air, that we are continuing to reveal who Jesus is to the world around us. Right? So that we actually become a walking, talking birth announcement and gender reveal announcement to the entire world around us to who Jesus is. So maybe just consider these few things as you step into this season, as we begin this new conversation on Sunday morning, but even bigger than that, right? As you think about who you are in your place in this world with the people you have relationships with, with the people you don't have relationships with, who and how will you be impacted by this? So like Jesus, you and I are not important because who gave birth to us or because of the settings in which we were born. Rather, you and I have value and worth because of what God is doing within you. Do you hear that? It doesn't matter who gave birth to you or where you gave or where you were when it happened. What matters is the fact that God is at work in you, therefore you have worth and value, and that's huge. That's everything. That's one thing, right? Well, this text also tells us this. Well, let me say this a little bit better. Um, the fact that this is the case, right? We have value and worth because of what God is doing within us. In other words, may you and I conduct our lives and treat others in such a way that we reveal the birth of Jesus and the reality of Jesus in everything that we do. May it be a reveal, right? God's not a God of isolation or exclusion. God seeks to be involved and partner with creation. In fact, God is not just involved with those that we consider unique and special or great. God is involved with all people. All peoples. And as a result of that, may my table and your table, may our table, may the size of our tables expand to make space for all, revealing the generosity of Jesus. And our rejoicing may start with the birth of Jesus, but it doesn't end there. This is just the beginning of God's new work. Jesus is the great shepherd, and guess what? As a result of that, Jesus is still involved in your life, and he is still involved in my life. He doesn't walk away from us. He is still involved. So may my encounters with Jesus, and may your encounters with Jesus, continue to transform you and I more into the likeness of who he is. Because friends, this is good news. May you and I, oh, just wrap your head around this just for a moment. May you and I literally be good news to the people we come in contact with. May we be good news because of the way that Jesus has transformed our lives. And like the shepherds, let's participate in God's mission 
by continuing to announce the greatest birth of all time. If you want to do it with smoke bombs, lightsabers, car exhausts, cakes, or whatever it is, whatever it may be, I would prefer you maybe do it with just the way that you live, but if you want to throw cakes in there, it's fine. But because of Jesus, may our very lives here on earth be a living sacrifice and good news to all. Maybe you're just here today because you need a little good news. Right? Maybe if you're like all of us, there are times in life when circumstances are no good and you need a little good news. And a little good news goes a really long way. Right? Maybe you're here because you've heard about this Jesus. Maybe it's that time of year when you're hearing about him a little bit more and you're thinking, maybe I want to investigate this Jesus a little bit more. And maybe you've kind of even been pushed over the edge a little bit. Like, you know what? I think I might want to put this Jesus on in baptism. We're always available to do those kind of things. If you do represent and are in a season of your life where you are hurting, where you are miserable, where life seems to be turned upside down on its head, maybe the biggest thing that we can do is we can just be together in prayer. That's good news. So if you need a little good news today, why don't you come with us as we stand and sing?